0: Welcome to the Wildscast. Today's guest is Angela Himsa. Angela's writing has appeared in the New York Times, the Jewish Week, Forward, Lilith, and many, many other places. She grew up the seventh of 11 children in rural southern Indiana, now lives in New York as a convert to Judaism. She tells this story in her memoir, A River Could Be a Tree. It's a great conversation. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did.
1: Okay, we are live. Welcome, everyone, to the Wildcast MGE's podcast. I have the distinct honor and pleasure of uh, interviewing someone who I've known for a good couple of years, but never had this kind of in-depth conversation with before. Angela himself uh, grew up as the seventh of 11 children uh, in rural southern Indiana, Uh, Angela uh, was raised in a fundamentalist and I'm told almost apocalyptic uh, Christian faith. And uh, she converted to Judaism and has been an active member here on the Upper West Side where I've uh, known her and her family for many years. And she tells her story um, in a phenomenal book I really recommend. It's called A River Could Be a Tree, where she traces her spiritual journey from a fundamentalist Christian uh, to an observant Jew. Welcome, Angela.
2: Thanks for
1: having me, Rabbi. It is such a pleasure and honor. Um, by the way, I want to mention also that <clears throat> Angela's writings have been in the New York Times, the Jewish Week, Forward, Lilith, elsewhere. Um, and um, we'll, we'll get a little more into your biography, into your own mm-hmm. personal history. Tell us what it was like um, growing up as a fundamentalist Christian, and now you're an observant Jew living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Uh, you wrote a whole book about this journey, but if you had to sum it up, You know, what was it like to go through this?
2: You know, um, to a certain extent, I guess all of our lives are similar in the sense that if that's all you've ever known, that's kind of what you've known. And so I don't think it occurred to me until I was probably in my teens that there was something a little bit off about this, that um, worrying that Jesus was going to return any minute, any second, and, you know, according to Christianity, return, you know, as a um, thief in the night. And so this sort of idea that somebody is sneaking around like a thief and going to grab me and take me up and be raptured when it's time to be raptured, it's a little scary. Like can't go to sleep very well because what if, what if he comes along while I'm sleeping? So I feel like that sense of always being, um, uh, constantly feeling vigilant, I guess, is the right word. Vigilant that Jesus is going to becoming and, and you better be ready. You know, that sense of preparedness is what I think a lot of Christians feel, but especially apocalyptic doomsday Christians, you know. I mean,
1: did you, did you there, I mean, did you consider like, um, I guess, I don't know if it's converting, but it's moving to a, a less apocalyptic kind of radical uh, right. denomination. What What brought you to
2: So one of the quirky things about my church was that um, Herbert Armstrong, the founder, he believed that Jesus was Jewish, which he was, and that we should be observing the Jewish holidays. So we always observed Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, um, Pesach. Right, but but with the Christian twist, obviously, and so Jesus was the Paschal Lamb, let's say, for Christianity, obviously for Passover. But we did eat unleavened bread for a week, and we did clear it all out of our house, um, and we did fast on Yom Kippur, um, and also we did not observe Christmas or Easter because they were considered pagan and kind of steeped in paganism. So I guess that superficially, not. Um, certainly not spiritually, but superficially, I was maybe a little bit more comfortable with Judaism, given that I had grown up with those holidays. Um, And then when I was 19, that was kind of the defining moment. Um, I think a lot of people who have been on a year abroad would, would say that these things can really be... Uh, life-changing whether you go to israel as i did or if you go to norway (laughs) you know um because just to be somewhere else where you see that there's different people and they have a different way of living and believing so when i was 19 i went to israel um and i was made you
1: what made you want to go to israel i mean was it yeah
2: well what happened was the church decided that makeup was of the devil. Everything that the male leaders didn't like was of the devil, just so you know. And so since they didn't like, they didn't feel that women should be wearing makeup and um, Jesus could not return until we got rid of our makeup. And I know it all sounds kind of crazy now, but at the time it was, uh, well, you can see I'm wearing a lot of makeup. And um, (laughs) I took that very personally. And I guess it was also, it just it says something else. It's not just about that. It's just about somebody trying to really dominate you. The church was trying to dominate and tell you as a woman what you should be doing with your body, with your face, with whatever. And so um, I didn't mean to go to Israel, actually. I meant to go to Germany, but I found a brochure in the overseas office for Israel. And I thought, "Hmm, maybe if I go to Israel, I'll kind of understand all of these questions, these burning spiritual questions that I think a lot of people have at that age, but I certainly did. And so I went to Israel and, and did not resolve those burning spiritual questions. Where, where did you go? Know. Where did you study there? I studied at the Hebrew University. I mm-hmm. did the one-year program abroad, but then I ended up staying for a second year. Um, oh. And I really fell in love with Israel. It was just so obviously different from my Midwestern European um Christian <laughs> family and um really loved Israel loved learning um I loved learning about the Bible through a different lens so I was taking a lot of classes and also just going for Shabbat dinners and having conversations with people and so I was introduced to Judaism I had never really thought about it before I really didn't know what Jews were doing quite frankly after in the last 2000 years you know they rejected Jesus you know, and that's kind of how a lot of Christians view Jews, you know, don't know exactly what you were doing. So to learn that Judaism has continued and been very dynamic and, you know, I mean, it's been it was an amazing thing to discover Judaism post you know, wow. biblical, you know, not biblical, you know. Things that I already knew.
1: Sure, and how were your parents handling this? Were they Were they supportive of of your you know two years, right. two years in Israel after high school? It's pretty you know yeah. for.
2: Did I, do you remember how many uh, kids my parents had? You <laughs> think they really missed me?
1: <laughs> so, so eleven, ten, nine,
2: right? I'm not sure they noticed after until it took probably took a year for them to realize I was gone. That's actually not true. My parents were very supportive. Mm-hmm. Um my mother was a big clipper of newspaper articles. So she would clip newspaper articles and send them to me in Israel, mm-hmm. which is very sweet. Uh my parents were very supportive, and I think that um one way in which my spiritual journey, I guess, has been different than a lot of others who have left these kind of constrained backgrounds is that I didn't really have to do an either or. Either you stay or you leave, but you can't hold on to your family and your past and your parents if you choose to leave. So I think that um, that was a real gift from my parents, Mm -hmm. to be accepting um, of my choices as an adult. Wow. wow,
1: And, you know, you touched on something before, you know, it's not like you entered um, this world where they were, you know, you said that they were trying to sort of control the decisions you were making. I mean, the world of Torah observance, I've been promoting it my whole life, Mm -hmm. and I believe in it clearly. I'm trying to bring lots of other people into it Mm -hmm. through MGE, but... You know, it's not as though the Torah doesn't have dictates and commandments Correct. of its own. Correct. Did you did you find that the dictates uh, of the Torah was somehow more, or easier for you to uh, to bring into your life than, let's say, what the demands uh, in this fundamentalist Christian—I don't want to call it a sect, whatever it is—that you were raised with. Right. What was what was the difference that that, in other words, about Judaism that that became so inviting and attractive? because it is a lot of rules and laws too.
2: Right. I mean, I found it attractive for a number of reasons. One is, and I know this is going to sound kind of cliche, but I'll say it anyway, but, but that is that, um, you can, you can mark every life cycle event. And I think that during the pandemic, I've been so incredibly grateful, um, to the many ways in which, the Jewish community has reached out to keep people engaged. Um, They've helped people get vaccines. So that's very pragmatic. But from Friday night dinners, you know what I mean? For every Friday night Shabbat dinners, just that idea of marking time in a really beautiful kind of a way with traditions, with laws, all of that. But you're doing something bigger. You're not just... You're not to my mind anyway, mm-hmm. um and by the way, this is a philosophical conversation and a debate other people would say elsewhere, but um, you're not just doing it by rote, although some people are, but you'd like to think that there's um there's a philosophical reason sure well, there
1: certainly is there certainly yeah. is and and you you picked up on that you you mentioned something about um your husband I, who yeah. you probably weren't married to yet. But your future husband, who's the son of a rabbi, and I I know his his brother, another great rabbi, that he was instrumental in in, in your conversion. You tell this very powerful story about coming out of the mikvah with your Mm -hmm. six-month-old in your arms uh, and being asked what your Hebrew name was, and uh, you seem to imply that you weren't really prepped for that. Tell us about that experience.
2: The conversion experience, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I have a lot to say about that, Rabbi Wiles, if you ever want to have a discussion about that.
1: Um, But we do have, you know, MGE has, we're not a proselytizing people, as you know, in general, MGE is primarily for Jewish people, didn't grow up with much of a background. But we do have a good handful of very, very special people every year who are looking to convert to Judaism. Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, I will say my conversion experience was really good because um, I I had terrific rabbis. I really had terrific rabbis and they were incredibly supportive. Um, I think that every conversion experience is different because, you know, I do know some who did not have such great experiences and weren't really welcomed. And I find that just silly, to be quite honest. I mean, it's counterproductive. Um,
1: it's so, also it's also against the Torah it's,
2: it's, it's about, many many, right? It's right. many it's 36
1: many, times it says to love right, the stranger
2: right. yeah. it's many many things and I think that um, uh, the conversion process I mean to me you know you go through the conversion process you become Jewish but I would say becoming Jewish has just been like a lifelong thing each time has been you know I I write about this in my book that when my Oldest son was born. um My husband said, "So you know who are we going to invite to the bris?" And I'm like, "Invite to the bris? What do you mean? We're inviting people to the bris." Yes. So we must have had a hundred people eating smoked salmon at my son's bris.
1: Now you, told, now you know you're Jewish.
2: I know. And I called my parents and I said, "You know, you coming? To, will you come?" And they're like, "We're going to watch." And I'm like, "Yeah, you're going to watch." And I wasn't prepared for that. I had never been to a bris. I uh-huh. did not know these were public events. Wow. So I am constantly learning even now as we speak, you know, which I think is a great thing. I think it's it's a,
1: it's a lifelong experience. Uh,
2: exactly. Yeah. And I love that.
1: You know, I, I love that answer because, you know, I think a lot of, you know, born Jews kind of think of the conversion as this one moment, right? Uh, but it's really just a moment symbolizing a, a lifetime, you yeah. know, experience and struggle even and and you um you chose Ruth I did um,
2: or yeah, Ruth that, chose me or Ruth chose me right That was it's,
1: actually uh that was my mother's name a blessed memory uh, so I'm a big fan of that
2: Yeah it's my middle name So I didn't really know what to what my name was supposed to be um, and I was going through all of the biblical names that I liked, Vora, whatever. And I was like, wait a minute, Ruth, how perfect is that? The first convert, and it happens to be my middle name. Wow. So, wow.
1: Do you yeah. know, by the way, this is completely off, and you probably <laughs> know this. I don't know why I think it's so. Probably Ari Berman, as uh-huh. you know, a dear friend. He's now the president of yeah. Chief University. Uh-huh. He once gave a lecture in my mother's memory, at the uh, annual yard site lecture I do for my mom, and he mentioned that the word ruthless comes from the biblical Ruth. I because, didn't know that. Yeah, Ruth is so aligned with oh, concept of chesed of kindness oh. that the antithesis of Ruth is being you know ruthless.
2: Without that, is that
1: interesting? That's
2: yeah, that's great. I, didn't yeah, know that. I just
1: whatever. I, just, I was just thinking about I love that. that. Um, what, what was what was attractive? Going back to your parents now, I'm just mm-hmm. interested. Your parents. Um, you mentioned were originally from a more mainstream Protestant and Catholic backgrounds. And then they moved to this more sectarian, almost apocalyptic movement, the the world war church of God. Why why was that attractive to them? I mean, it it sounds so radical.
2: Um, You know, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question. I have certainly pondered it. I think that you can never underestimate the power of these cult leaders, and I really do believe he was a cult leader, Mm -hmm. the the power that they have where, you know, they get their tentacles into you and then it's really hard to get out. And that sense of certainty, I think they loved this. I also think you have to remember that this is post-World War II when a lot of these guys were on the radio. The radio was like a new thing. So um, the radio was a new thing and the world did seem like it was right after World War II, everything that happened in Europe and the atomic bombs and so on. So a lot of these churches actually sprang up because people were also kind of rejecting their um, their own uh, religious background, Catholicism and Protestantism for the most part. So my parents were really, I guess, part of a lot of people who started with I don't know, Scientology and, and so mm, on. They mm-hmm. all kind of sprang up around the same time. Um, a lot of them, not all of them. And I, I feel like people wanted certainty and they also had fear. They were afraid that the world was going to come to an end. And when it did, they wanted to make darn sure they were saved, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Well, listen, that helps explain. Now, the, you mentioned that the this is the worldwide church of God that they had some religious observances, including some kind of Shabbat. Uh, I'm curious different. what yeah, what, what did you do then and how is it different now?
2: So we um, our our Shabbat was sunset to sunset, Friday night to Saturday night. And and just to be clear, by the way, we're the only ones in this county that were in this religion. And my mother's family oh. Yeah. My mother's family continued to be Catholic. My father's family was Lutheran. They were none too happy about my parents joining what they did believe was a cult. Um, and so as a result, we uh, we definitely were left out. I mean, I would just say, no, nobody has to get a violin out for me. But we definitely um, were a little bit or we felt ourselves to be a little bit um, sidelined both within our family as well as within our community. And um, so the reason I say that is that Friday night was Shabbat, which meant that Friday nights we weren't supposed to go out. We weren't supposed to go to football games or basketball games or all of that kind of stuff. Now, we cheated a little bit. Um, but we, we were really supposed to go from Friday night to Saturday night and it affected my brothers possibly more than me because I'm not exactly the sportiest person, but they had a problem in terms of, could they participate in in sports? Because everything was on Friday night and Saturday. Um,
1: which by the way is the classic problem that kids started like kosher Jewish little leagues for that reason for, for Jews.
2: Exactly. And so, um, our Friday, we would do like a Bible study on Friday night, um, reading the reading the Bible, sitting around reading the Bible, um, have supper. And then, but we didn't have holler or anything like that. It wasn't like that. And then on Saturday, we had to drive because church services were an hour and a half to two hours, depending on traffic or whatever, away, wow. in Evansville, Indiana. So we had to drive to services. <clears throat> so we didn't have those prohibitions about driving. <laughs> but, we also, but we did have prohibitions about not shopping and not using money. So um, it was a very, um, let's just say it was a mixed bag of rules and regulations, and they yeah. could change at any given moment. Um, so it was Friday night to Friday night, and we were supposed to go to church and then come back and then just hang out all afternoon and not watch TV and read and, you know, that sort of thing.
1: You know, it sounds a little like Shabbos during COVID. You know, because it sounds like, you know, the one, you know, the, the, I'm having, I'm, I've been struggling with my students, with MG participants for okay. an entire year over this because okay. the one attraction that Shabbat has, let's say, an Upper West Side single, you mm-hmm. know, who was maybe from a conservative reform background and didn't observe Shabbat, right. it was more of a high holiday, was that you get to be part of this vibrant community. Go to right. Central Park to the right. Great Lawn on a Saturday afternoon and like, who are all, the, all those yarmulkes and like, it looks so much fun to be part of. And you know what? It is. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I feel so good. That's one of the reasons we're at the Jewish center is because we're in the hub of the single and then COVID shuts it down. It almost sounds like your experience with Shabbat had a lot of the negatives without the positives, which That's is right. what, which is what Shabbat has been. Unfortunately, you know, right. we're, we've opened up and we're trying, and we're getting back together little by little and safely, but it's been quite restricted, and it's mm. harder for people to keep that and to find the joy in it. Honestly,
2: right? I agree. I agree. And it's it's funny because, like, um, when you're in Israel, for example, in Jerusalem, it doesn't even occur to you not to keep Shabbat. It's just right. so easy. Um, and I think that making things, you know, available in some sense yeah. is an important thing. And I know that you do a terrific job of that as uh, in your outreach and and that sort of thing to, to, to see the beauty of kind of silence and just, you know, enjoying the day without responsibilities. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's, it's, I would say for the last seven, eight years as social media became more and more of a thing, Mm -hmm. um, Shabbat has gotten easier and easier for me to, the cell so to speak it's just it's such a welcomed respite from the the noise as yeah, you know so. the week and uh yeah you know, the shutting down of the facebook and the instagram and just breathing a little you know but but doing it alone is tough doing it alone i just had a conversation yesterday with a couple of my students about passover uh i was talking to rabbi levine the rabbi of the jewish center about how we can have <laughs> seders because we're going to have a lot of our people here Right. And they're not all going home for the Siddharam mm-hmm. and therefore they're going to be alone mm-hmm. and I, and they shouldn't be alone. So, you know, what can we do? We're, we're figuring something out. We're probably going to have some outside Siddharam. That's what we're looking to do. But mm-hmm. um, I wanted to read something from your book, which I also thought was very interesting. You said that you lost, and I'm very sorry to hear, both of your parents That's and right. had another sig- significant death happen all in the same year. That's um, right. and. You said this about that season, and, and it was actually kind of powerful. You said, in all the years I've been Jewish, I'm quoting from you, I'd i been a high holiday Jew, a mother of the bar bat mitzvah Jew. I'd been a march for Israel Jew. I'd been a Latka and Hanukkah gifts Jew. I'd been a debate Israeli settlements and anti-Semitism at Shabbat dinner Jew. I'd been a committed, but not always consistently observant Jew. Basically, I'd been myself. Then I was a mourning Jew. And that meant bringing my entire Jewish self to the community to my family, to myself. What, what, did, what did you mean by, by that? And what does it mean to be a mourning Jew?
2: Um, you know, I'd never um, experienced a Shiva on my behalf before. I'd certainly attended many Shivas. And, um, I'd, you know, when my husband lost his father, we ha- you know, had a Shiva. So I was certainly cognizant of what it is. But until you're on the receiving end of it, You don't realize the power of the Shiva, that um, these people show up for you. And it's pretty um, powerful. And it's just really, I don't even know if humbling is the right word, but you, you you just feel so embraced within the community. And I feel like there's this, sometimes there's this push pull between individuality and community. You know, on one hand, I'm an individual. On the other hand, I'm a part of a community. And when you really need your community to show up, it's an amazing thing. And you say, eh, I don't need to be an individual today. I'm happy to be <laughs> a part of the community, you know. So I think that that was um, what I meant in terms of the all of the Jewish rituals, in terms of the Sheva, in terms of grief, all of that came, came to bear during that time and really, really helped me a lot, I would say.
1: Wow, I have to say, this uh, this might sound strange, but what you just said confirms it. And that is, if I had to choose one area of Jewish tradition that really is so psychologically, emotionally there and helpful for people, uh, it is the week of Shiva for someone who, God forbid, loses a loved one. You really see the power of the Jewish community coming out, and um, you know, no one should have to have to experience that, but. What's interesting also is that almost all of Shiva is rabbinic in nature. The mm-hmm. only part of the mourning experience, according to Jewish tradition, which is biblical, uh, is the mitzvah to tear kriya, to rip mm-hmm. one's clothing, and in, in the in, when upon learning the news of a, of mm-hmm. the passing of a loved one. Everything else is made up by the rabbis, and it just shows mm-hmm. their great insight. You know, there's this one. Um, Ritual. I don't know if you, if you, if you remember it, but uh, it's called the Sudat Havra, um, which means that when a person comes back from the cemetery, from burying their loved one,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the community is supposed, to, is supposed to provide that first meal. And it's just mm-hmm. a simple meal, a piece of bread, and there's yeah. an egg, which is what we do on Tisha B'Av as well. Yeah. The idea of the egg, the cyclical nature of human existence, and we're on the low part now, but you'll come. The idea that the, the person doesn't have to get their own meal that they're mm-hmm. not being left alone. Right. And um, I think that's a really, really powerful. Um, I thought that that's, that's what you were referring to, but I wasn't sure. I'm really happy that you, uh, you shared that. Um, what, other people um, considering conversion, what advice would you give them?
2: Um, my best advice is to find a rabbi, honestly, that you really click with, because it's so important to have the right person who's going to walk with you during the spiritual journey. And I feel like um, that's just really, that's to me, that's the most important thing is to find um, a a good rabbi that you trust. Um, And I also would say taking classes is just a great thing because, you know, maybe you'll know better than I did that a bris is, you know, it's a public event Um, because there's so many things to learn to know and, on one hand, I feel like you can be Jewish and perfectly fine being Jewish and not know all of these things. It's totally okay. There's plenty of Jews who are born Jewish who don't know all of these things, but I think it's so rich. I mean, I find Judaism so rich that I find that I want to know these things, so it's uh-huh. not like it's a it's not like it's a chore. I find myself fascinated. I actually went down a little rabbit hole the other day, which was um." the unnamed biblical women. There's so many women who are not named. There's plenty of men who aren't named. And then I thought to myself, wow, there's these unnamed biblical women, you know, the woman who throws the head over the wall and, you know, all of these women, they're tough, strong women, but they don't have a name. And then I thought, well, which women do have a name within American history? Betsy Ross, she, you know, sewed a flag, which is great. No disrespect to there. But there are all of these things in the Bible that I still find new and fresh that I can think about. And not just in the Bible, within, within Judaism, obviously. So that was, that's a bit of a digression there. Um, but I guess my point is that Judaism can take you in so many different places and directions and, you know, just just go with it and enjoy the journey. And it's an ongoing journey, you
1: know, to my mind. And, and your digression was amazing, by the way, because, <laughs> no, it, it's, um, you know, I was, my, next, my next question, this is something mm-hmm. I, I thought we could spend a few minutes
0: mm-hmm.
1: talking about. I, I've always felt that to turn young Jewish people on to their Judaism, that they're a little either turned off to, or as you said before, just not terribly knowledgeable about.
2: Right.
1: You know, and I always felt like, you know, that's why I love having people over to my home for Shabbat before COVID. And it was selfish. I wanted my kids who were re- being put into Jewish day school system, who weren't giving being given the choice, so to speak. Now they are given a the choice. They could reject it at any point, I guess. But they're kind of, you know, if they just go with the flow, they'll just stay with it. Mm-hmm. But how powerful is it for Jewish people, whether they're raised religious or not raised religious, to meet someone like yourself, who chose this path, mm-hmm. who didn't have to take this path. I mean, you could have gone a million different ways. You could have rejected, okay, clearly you were turned off by this sect yeah. of Christianity mm-hmm. in which you were raised, but you could have just become an atheist, or you could have not become an atheist, but joined any one of the other denominations of mm-hmm. Christianity. Um, but you chose Judaism. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think that's so important for people who don't feel like to get that choice. To, mm-hmm. to meet someone who who has and to hear why you made that choice. And someone who didn't, you know, sort of the Marxist opiate of the masses. Oh, you're not some, sorry, I hate to say this, some nebuch, mm-hmm. who, you yeah. know, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how to tr- uh, translate nebuch. You're yeah. not like some, you know, sympathy case, like you said, about taking out the violin before, yeah. who yeah. couldn't, you know, you're a successful writer and person in general, and you could have gone in any direction and you chose mm-hmm a Jewish observant path in life. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's that's why I love your book. And I just think it's so important to get that message out there because for the born Jews mm-hmm. and those of us who often take it so for granted, what would you say to them, to all the Jewish people listening and who are maybe not on live right now will be listening to this when it's made into a podcast
0: mm-hmm.
1: to demonstrate, you know, that you, you changed your entire life. Right. Um and you married into a rabbinic family right I mean, and right. uh I know your husband is a very upstanding member of a community. I know your brother in law was a big rabbi he was at yeshiva university and right. now he's at i think he's at uh landers yeshiva mm-hmm. and is uh, a rabbi in Passaic Huge, huge torah scholar um what would you say to just the large numbers of Jews out there who are just like
2: eh. <laughs> um you know it's i it reminds me a little bit of how um, I don't know if you had this experience, but, you know, my parents were terrific people, by the way, but my friends loved my parents. Your dad's amazing. Your mom, she's amazing. And I'm like, I know, I know it's fine, whatever. But, you know, you sometimes don't appreciate what you have until other people point out like you're doing now um, Honestly, you should be grateful and appreciative of what you have, and have a look at it through somebody else's eyes. And I think that within Judaism, they're just—I guess one of the things that I really like now. I mean, I've been Jewish for a long time. My son is thirty-one years old. I'm a grandma, by the way. Wow! I know. uh, (laughs) You look very young for a grandma. Her name is Miriam. I've been babysitting since this morning, thus the makeup. Um, (laughs) But um, but um, I guess that you know, Judaism is not monolithic. There's no one way to be Jewish. And you may find something in Judaism that really speaks to you, it, it, whether that's, you know, doing just Friday night dinners or just whatever. But there's so much in it that, and I'm discovering things all the time. So I guess I would just say, it's interesting to see the um, the many different waves the many different ways you can be Jewish and you can appreciate it and it, it can have meaning in your life because it's not just about an identity like, Oh, I'm Jewish. Okay, whatever. But I do feel your identity should have meaning. If you say I'm Jewish, then that should carry meaning. And I, and by meaning, I don't mean, um, I don't mean Holocaust meaning. I I don't mean 2000 years of persecution meaning. I mean, Jewish meaning, you know, Judaism meaning. Yeah.
1: It's so sad, unfortunately. Like, uh, I just want to make two comments on what you just said. The last part about the Holocaust meaning (laughs) (laughs) consistently whenever MGE runs a Yom HaShoah event. And I'm very (laughs) proud that so many people come. We've Mm -hmm. been doing it for the last few years at the museum downtown. Four Mm -hmm. or five hundred people. Right. You, know, you teach a basic Judaism class or a Hanukkah right. party, we'll get good numbers, but not like that. <laughs>
2: okay. But there's something about. Like, the- there's nothing like a car crash. I mean, <laughs> I hate to say it. Like, I don't mean that in a flippant way, but honestly, there's there's just. <laughs> It's No, I'm happy
1: I, I'm happy you said it that way because that's that's the way I feel. It's like someone uh, has to die for us to start taking this thing seriously. And mm-hmm. you know, Alan Dershowitz said this to me years ago. He spoke at MGE mm-hmm. and I quoted something from his book that he wrote like in the nineteen seventies, the mm-hmm. The Vanishing American Jew.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: and he predicted that when there's less anti-Semitism, there's gonna be less Jewish activity. And he said it's going to be up to the rabbis he said okay put it all on us yep. to uh to make Judaism seem so exciting and so vibrant you know so i really appreciate the idea and i also love what you said about so many avenues there's so many portals of relationship that we can have with god and with our fellow human being through the mitzvot 613 mitzvot and there isn't one way to do it 100% there's so many opportunities for people to be Jewishly religiously engaged it's just um you know, again, like anything that you're used to, you take for granted, mm-hmm. and um, and I, I I love the you know my kids will never say you're such a cool dad, but like they'll say it with their friend thinks I'm a cool dad, you know. Right, right. Like, my, th- my friends think you're cool. Like, what's right. I don't, I'm not sure I why.
2: You need better friends, <laughs> obviously.
1: Right, <laughs> you know, but it's um. It, it's it's uh, I want to share one story with you, actually ask you how you feel about this, because it happens a decent amount. We at MG have gotten a, sh- a fair share of interested individuals converting to Judaism. Mm-hmm. We don't do our own conversions. We sort of farm it out to the RCA, but we're, we serve as sponsoring rabbis and we're, we're there to hold their hand,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so to speak. And, and we do a lot of that. So anyway, years ago, this one woman shows up with a guy, a couple. Mm-hmm. and the gentleman uh, was Jewish and the, the girl he was seeing and the woman he was seeing was not, both in their 20s and mm-hmm. she sat down and right away you could see she was interested she was plugged into the class, she was asking good questions he was asleep within the first 15 minutes of the class, he was like right. unconscious, like he was just and and then, you know I, I got to talk to him after class and he shared he says, listen I my my parents are very upset I'm dating a non-Jewish girl and they want me to have her convert. So, you know, here she is, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, drop her off, so to speak. Right. I said, dude, let me just tell you something. She's lovely and we're happy to work with her, but I'm just telling you right now that Beitin, the Jewish court is going to want to see if you're going to end up together. They're going to ask you a couple of questions too, because the prospects mm-hmm. of her observing Judaism long term with a guy who's asleep mm-hmm. in 15 minutes is, are right. not so great. So, and you know what ended up happening? she ended up breaking up with him because Mm -hmm. he wasn't interested enough. He wasn't excited enough. And then he came, you know, asking, he's like, this is ridiculous. I'm not Jewish enough. (laughs) Like, what does that mean? I'm not Jewish enough for her. Like I said, you're not honestly, she actually believes in this and she wants to, you know, and I find that um, with a lot of the couples that come, you know, sometimes it's, you know, they're just sort of placating some parent that's upset that they're marrying out so go get the conversion, you know. Right. And and I say, I say, you know, we're not interested in doing that. I had a right. woman who years ago. I mean, I, whatever. I don't keep babbling. I got a million stories like this. I'm yeah. just curious how you feel about that.
2: I think. I mean, i i I've, I've certainly seen that in in a lot of different ways with different couples, where one converted and then the the other the the the, the Jewish born spouse kind of was like, I didn't really sign up for you to become really Jewish. I just signed up for you to get that paper. And so you have to be careful what you wish for, because if you want somebody to become Jewish, well, guess what? They might actually take it seriously. And then huh, what are you going to do? Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing. I've, I've seen that in different ways as well. I wanted just to say one other thing though, by uh, when you were talking to me about, Um, what I would say to somebody who wanted to convert, and the conversion process. Um, You know, the thing that I missed in the conversion process, and this is coming from a Christian background, granted, but what I missed was um, kind of an acknowledgement or recognition of God in my life or in my daily life or in, in my life. So I feel like the God word isn't mentioned that much. And I feel like that's a mistake. I mean, I really do. Um, because however you view God, it kind of, God is kind of central <laughs> to the Torah, you know? And it's always interesting to me how God isn't, you know, maybe brought up that much, both within Judaism as well as within conversion. And I feel like God should be. Now, I'm just... Um, you know, I'm making a plug for God here, so, you know.
1: <laughs> I, um, I'm i very, very sensitive to that remark because, um, <laughs> no, because I, I this, is something, this is a complaint of mine in the Jewish day school system. Believe it or not, in Orthodox day. Jewish day schools. Oh, me too. Yeah, they don't talk enough about God. You might, you could study for years Talmud. And Mishnah and Gemara. And of course, they, you know, oh, it's just sort of assumed, but it's right. it's it's an assumption. Now, I think it's coming from, I think there's a, if you had to ask me why that is, I'll, I'll give you my theory. I think some of the teachers are a little uncomfortable. Maybe mm-hmm. they're going to get a deep pressing question about God they feel they're not going to be able to answer. Or they don't want to plant some potentially heretical thought in some high school kid's mind Mm-hmm. But I think we do it at our own. Believe it or not, this is going to sound strange, but we mm-hmm. sent our young, our boys mm-hmm. to, to Yeshiva Katana here on the Upper West Side, which is a little more Yeshivish mm-hmm. place. They spoke more about God there than I heard when I went to day school. And not mm-hmm. just 30 years ago, but one of my other kids went to a more modern Orthodox day school, not Yeshivish, not like you know ultra Orthodox, whatever. And there was less God there. And I find that across the board, and I think we we i think it's a mistake because because it's all about god the whole the whole right. thing is about our relationship with hashem, and if you lose
2: that, yeah, what do you have i mean then you're just then you're just a cultural kind of an institution, and that's okay, cultural institutions are fine, but that's not the same and i I have to say, I sort of feel like God might just be like this embarrassment for some people like god is sort of this embarrassment like we don't talk about god we're 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 like a little bit you know too sophisticated for that um but i also do yeah
1: i think yeah i I think the other thing if i can just jump in you know because you come from that kind of background right i think rabbis are sometimes not in yeshiva like in yeshiva Mm -hmm. i find not day school. I hate to say, like right. in the classic yeshivas, like the gap year programs yeshivas. That right. they're it's all about God. It's God, right. God, 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 and that's why people get turned on so much there. I right. feel like in the synagogue, in the synagogue, rabbis are nervous about sounding too preachy.
2: They're nervous mm-hmm. about
1: sounding too much like an evangelical preacher, and about God. They have to talk more about, you know, they have to sound more sophisticated than that somehow,
2: right. um, and I. I Yeah, I agree. I know that why they do it. I just don't think it's a good idea. I just happen to disagree with it because I think that to me, it's like, I don't know if you go to a restaurant and it's like, I came here to eat. So don't (laughs) sell me clothing. I didn't, if I wanted a dress, I would have gone to, to another store, but I came here to eat. If I go to a synagogue, I'm going there for religion. I'm, I mean, I'm also going there to schmooze with my girlfriends, but (laughs) I am going there for religion. You know what I mean?
1: So yeah. Totally. Well, I I a lot of my students who come from more conservative and reform said that they didn't even realize God was part of the equation. They got sucked into some of the more Near Eastern religions like Buddhism, where they really focus on transcendentalism and like. And all of a sudden we start learning about Kabbalah and like, oh my God, Judaism has so much to say about God.
2: Mm-hmm. And it was
1: like, yeah, we just they just never talked about it much. I'm right. um, in the ortho I'm i I'm a little critical in the Orthodox community also. It's different than the conservative reform. They are talking about God in the Orthodox world, but it's a little more muted. Mm-hmm. And in the modern Orthodox world, it, there's this over concern with sounding too, too simplistic. Mm-hmm. And there is and there is a concern that if you say something, my son is taking a course up at issue University right now, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and they're, they're, you know you can't really speak about God intelligently because we don't really understand God. So then you weigh on this other. You get super mm-hmm. academic about it, and, and then mm-hmm. everyone falls asleep or no one's listening. Yeah. Right. And I think, um, and I appreciate you sharing that. There has to be a way of speaking about God in intelligent terms, so right. that we. Well, yeah.
2: I think that yeah. I mean I I, I mentioned this and I wrote about this in my uh, book, but um, I'll mention it again. I mean the idea of the word Israel. Jacob's name was turned changed to Israel after after Jacob struggled with God that or struggled with the divine being whoever that was. Um, and Israel, because it says, because, um, because, um, I, I struggled with you. That's Israel. You know, I struggled with God. Um, I don't know if it means exactly Israel. It it means to struggle with God and maybe it does. Um, but nonetheless, I like it. And I feel like. That is the point. The point of mentioning God is to say, this is a struggle. We're going to struggle with God. We're going to try to figure this out. We won't figure it out, but let's just struggle together a little bit. Let's talk about it. Ignoring it and pretending that God is this kind of like old great-grandpa that needs to stay in the attic because he's a little bit embarrassing. I feel Mm -hmm. like that's not useful either. I feel like let's struggle with it. it.
1: It's not useful, and it does help explain why so few uh, young Jewish men and women that I've seen over the last 20-plus years
0: mm-hmm. are
1: just um, not engaged with their Judaism or think that it do- it can't really compete with the really sophisticated professional fields to which have entered. You know, mm-hmm. we have doctors, lawyers, people in finance, people who have, you know, advanced degrees in whatever field they're in, and their mm-hmm. concept of God, you know, is like a third grade concept of God because they've stopped struggling. And by the way, you had the Pasuk exactly correct. It says in the Torah, Kisarita Imelukim Vatuchal You have struggled with God and you have prevailed. Now, that doesn't mean that Yaakov prevailed in understanding God fully. And that's the point I think you were trying to make beautifully, which is that just because we can't understand God fully doesn't mean we have to stop talking about Him and that we can't talk about... I mean, I believe that the mitzvot specifically have to be spoken about in God terms. Why am I doing this mitzvah? Okay, I'm, you're, you're observing Shabbat. Okay, there's a beautiful communal thing to Shabbat. We talked about that. But how is it connecting me to God? How is not eating this food as opposed to that food somehow connecting me closer to my creator? How is you know not speaking ill of my fellow human being? I know it's not right. It's not nice. People will get hurt. But that's what society says. You know, there's defamation right. on the law books, too. Torah says it's going to impinge on your relationship with God. How? Right. So I, I, think that, I think that's a productive, and maybe more useful way of speaking about Hashem, which is bringing God a little more down to earth. Like, here's how your relationship with God will be positively impacted, you know, through mitzvah A versus mitzvah B. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that the idea of having a relationship with God is also something that people find uncomfortable. Sometimes. You that know. Right. And and I get that too. You know? It's it's the more urban
1: professional you get, the more right. uncomfortable people become because
2: right.
1: it gets associated I hate to say it, I'm speaking to someone who's from this background, it gets associated. You know, I watch on Sunday sometime, I like listening to Joel uh Olstein. I find oh, no, it no, very don't
2: tell me, please don't <laughs>
1: tell me like, uh, oh. <laughs> well, well so I find him very entertaining very sim. Yeah. i mean i don't want to say anything negative but is right. you know but it's very yeah. simplistic and i couldn't get away i couldn't get away with saying those things at mge people would laugh a little I, they would but i'm telling it. you right so the the reaction you had just now when i even yeah. dropped his name right. is the re, is the reaction i think rabbis anticipate getting mm-hmm. if they talk about god because mm-hmm. they, they, they don't want to sound like joe wallstein
2: yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I see that it's it's just a funny thing, though, I would have to say, to walk into a synagogue or, a, you know, a place of worship in which God is supposed to be central and to skirt the issue. Like, we'll talk about everything else, but we won't talk about the one thing that this is kind of about.
1: We're here for, yeah. Well, you should listen. I have in my books here, uh, mm-hmm. Rabbi Lamb's uh, Blessed yep. Memory I don't know uh-huh. if you had a relationship with him at That's all, weird. but, yeah. um, and so, yeah, we were blessed to, uh, I was blessed to have known him very, very well over the years and all of his sermons that he delivered in the Jewish center, lots of God in them, lots uh-huh. of God in them. Right. And, uh, he was not afraid to speak about God. Um, right. I think young people need to hear about God in more spiritual terms, how your relationship with Hashem is going to change your life positively. Right. Um, you know, because the Jewish Center crowd is a little different than, let's say, the crowd I'm reaching out to. But uh, right. this has been just such a, an amazing um, conversation. Um, and I, I just want to thank you, Angela, for being outspoken about it. Some people, I don't know if they're embarrassed. I don't know why. They're not as yeah. uh, comfortable talking about their true feelings, their family, their background. I hope I didn't probe too much.
2: Not
1: <laughs> uh,
2: okay. you better You better hope that... Uh, that that I know you better if you'd wanted <laughs> me not to talk about my real feelings, you would have had a hard time today. <laughs> well,
1: you uh you share your true feelings, which which is appreciated. And you're really a uh a great model for uh in a, a further and deeper exploration into Judaism, whether you're not Jewish or you are. Um I think you gave a lot of food for thought for people for our listeners. Um and uh and anyone who chooses. To join our flock as you have, yeah. and I know it was many, many years ago, uh, is, is someone, you know, it's something for us to really celebrate. Um, and I'll, I'll end with this also just there's still this misperception out there that Judaism is not interested in converts. Right. Because the conversion program is so rigorous, especially in the mm-hmm. Orthodox community, because it's so rigorous, people think we're not interested. If we were interested in converts, we'd make it so simple and easy for them to join. And I always say, we want converts, but just we don't want to water down Judaism at the same time. We don't want to change what it means to be a Jew simply to make it more accommodating and easier for people to become Jewish, because then the religion just changes, and then we don't have that connection like we used to. So um, that's one of the reasons I wanted to interview you also, was to to make that point that it is a mitzvah. It's actually one of the 613 mitzvot. I don't know if you're aware of this to convert somebody to Judaism. No. It's considered one of the 613 if it's mm. done properly. Mm-hmm. If it's done properly mm-hmm. and the person is a, is a proper candidate, mm-hmm. then, um, then it becomes a mitzvah to convert somebody. Yeah.
2: Huh. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Taught me a couple of things. Ruthless and now this. <laughs> yeah.
1: There's more. You're welcome to come on anytime. <laughs> You're welcome you well. to come on anytime. Uh, it, uh, you. Unless you have any other questions for us, can turn the
2: table um, if you'd like. No, I was going to mention, though, by the way, that um, the, the name of my book is A River Could Be a Tree. And I wanted mm-hmm. just to say why that's the name of the book, um, because a lot please, of people have asked me that. And it has to do with what we were just talking about, um, that when I was growing up, the church, and including my father, said that men and women have their roles. And Daddy said one time, he said, you know, men and women have their roles. That's how God created it. And that's the way it should be. Um what would happen if a river thought it could be a tree? So the notion that something crazy could happen, that this river could turn into a tree, was sort of always intriguing to me, you know, like, hmm, how'd that happen? So the title is A River Could Be a Tree, and that notion that change is possible, it doesn't always happen, but it is possible sometimes, and, and that you're entitled to change. We're all in, well. You're going to change no matter what, but you're entitled to change. And I guess that that would be kind of my takeaway uh, with the title of the book, or or mm-hmm. with the book itself, that it's about change and positive change. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what it means to be Jewish—not staying the same. Right. It's all about change. It's all about transforming ourselves right. into the best possible version, which is someone else. Right. You know, and um, yeah, staying the same is not cool.
2: Right. That's exactly
1: right. That's where we're we're all about change. And uh, I guess somebody who converts to Judaism is a real model for that. So thank you. And uh, thank you for coming on and for being so open. And this is just such a great conversation that I know is going to get around um, because it's no, it's a very important message. I can tell people till I'm blue in the face how awesome Judaism Mm -hmm. is and how much it will allow us to. You know, transform ourselves into our best selves. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, someone who actually did it—proofs in the pudding, as they say.
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, Angela. Thank you so much you. for joining. And uh, you should have continued nachas as both a parent and a grandma, and you. enjoy your uh, your entire beautiful family.
2: Thanks a lot. You too. Thanks, Rabbi.
1: Thank you so much for coming. On. It was really a pleasure. You
2: too.
0: Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wilds Cast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wiles. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.